chance to hear Michael's prayer repeated, uh, then listen. Because he missed out four words at the end, uh, and four words that he couldn't use, but that are very important to say, um, because it was a prophetic prayer. And the four words are, thus saith the Lord. It's great to be with you and uh, have the chance of sharing. We're going through John's gospel, as you know. And so I want to read from John and chapter 12. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible, uh, John 12, verse 12. On the next day, the great multitude who'd come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And if you're following in your Bibles, if you can put your finger in Luke 24, uh, we're going to be going to there for the conclusion of the story. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that word is true. So we pray you'll speak to us from it. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's a very straightforward question, but it's a trick question, so don't jump to the quick answer, because you might get it wrong. I want to ask if you're disappointed with Jesus. The automatic answer for us in an evangelical Presbyterian church is, no, of course I'm not disappointed with Jesus. How could I be? Think about it. Weren't you disappointed with Jesus? When that person you'd prayed for for years to come to faith never did? Weren't you disappointed with Jesus when that sickness that was holding you down so much never went away despite your prayers and those of the elders and others? Weren't you disappointed with Jesus on that job you really believed was going to be yours and would change your life, and it never happened? Weren't you disappointed with Jesus when that child you longed would come to faith just walked in the opposite direction? Weren't you disappointed with Jesus when that marriage you thought was made in heaven ended up a little more like hell on earth? Weren't you disappointed with Jesus when what you dreamed for as a church just seemed to go away? And so I want to ask you a question. Are you disappointed with Jesus? And I know that the automatic reaction is no. How could I be disappointed with him? He came and he loved and he lived and he died for me. 
and he rose from the grave and he's come to my heart and life. How can I be disappointed with him? But when you look at things that happen, don't you have lots of ground for disappointment? Now you may be saying, okay, we don't know you and we're getting worried. Now, Pastor Steve and Pastor Jim heard me preach at a denominational conference for the EPC years ago, and I, I think they think I'm sound, but <laughs> now even they may be entitled to have some fears. Some of my old uh, church friends from up in Connecticut may be watching this, and they'll be chuckling and saying, don't worry, he'll turn it. But it is a genuine question because I believe that most of us, if we are honest, are sometimes very disappointed with my Jesus. If you look and you want some biblical evidence for that, then probably the best story of people disappointed with Jesus is when two of them were walking on an Emmaus road, and that's Luke 24. And if you look at that story, you'll discover that one of them, we know the name, uh, his name was Cleopas. Uh, we don't know the name of his partner as they walked on that Emmaus road. I've got my own guess, okay? You don't have to believe this because this isn't biblical. Just my guess. I think that the unnamed partner on the Emmaus road was Mrs. Cleopas because they ended up at the same house together. But either way, there are two on an Emmaus road. And they are full of disappointment. If you read Luke 24, you'll just find it resonating through the verses. We had hoped he was the one. This starts in verse 13. As they're walking into the sunset, and they're walking on that Emmaus Road, those seven and a half miles, and the comforting stranger comes alongside them. Their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. We read in verse 17, they stood still, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know why we're so sad? Who don't know how the chief priests surrendered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And verse 21, but we were hoping he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It's now the third day. The women, oh, they were with us. They went to the tomb and amazed us when they talked about him being alive. But him we did not see. It's full of disappointment. Absolutely riddled with it. And Scripture doesn't tell us when that disappointment started. So again, I'm going to take a guess. I think the disappointment started in John 12. You see, there is absolutely no way that two disciples of Jesus, who were among the quarter of a million plus Jews gathered for the feast, there is no way that they wouldn't have been on the Mount of Olives and around that morning on that 
day that we call Palm Sunday. And Jesus starts walking down the hill. And I think the disappointment all started. Because what happens as he walks down the hill is the crowd start yelling, Hosanna! Now, Hosanna is not a polite Jewish way of saying praise the Lord. Hosanna has nothing theological in it at all. It is not a spiritual statement, it's a political slogan. And what the slogan says is, save us now. And that's why they put palm branches there. Because as Jews, they'd done it 150, 180 years before. When Judas Maccabeus and his father Simon were leading the great revolt against the Syrian invaders under Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And they started spreading palm branches as a sign that the liberator was coming. And the great revolt began. And now they're believing that Jesus is going to deliver them from the Romans. Now they are so excited, save us now. And so he goes down the Mount of Olives. And he gets into the valley below. And then he starts to walk up the hill towards the Golden Gate. And as he walks up that hill, they know what's going to happen. And the yelling is getting louder. Hosanna, save us now. And he finally gets to the Golden Gate. They know what he's going to do. He's going to turn right. And he's going to go to the fortress of Antonia. And he's going to throw out the Romans. And there are so many Jews in the city. They'll rise up and liberation will come. And he gets to the gate and everyone is in a pean of excitement and he turns left. And instead of going to the fortress of Antonia and throwing out the Romans, he goes to the temple and throws out the money changers. It's a whole different moment. And the disappointment starts. Disappointment grew in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers came to arrest him. Disappointment was magnified as he's dragged before the Sanhedrin and says nothing. His silence before Pilate made disappointment get bigger. And then they smash nails into his hands and feet and crucify him until he ends up shouting, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it is finished. And for them it was. And the disappointment has reached maximum. We had thought he was going to redeem Israel. We had thought it was all going to change and be different. We had thought this was the beginning of a new day. We had thought those folks we prayed for were going to meet Jesus. We had thought that child in rebellion was going to turn round. We had thought that sickness would be banished. We had thought this church that God had raised up and was doing such things through was going to be the means of transformation in the city. We had thought. And then disappointment came. Now, I'm always tempted at this kind of moment to say amen and leave it to Michael to pick that up. It's a good temp, that one. <laughs> but that's not what my, where my Jesus leaves it. 
He comes and walks alongside disappointed people. He always has. He's never demanded that you smile through the pain. He's never demanded that you utter glib words of confidence when you don't really feel it. He's just asked that you get honest and straightforward. When you are disappointed with Jesus, then he does something. In fact, he does four things. And if you did have a pen handy and a piece of paper or you'd got your uh, church bulletin around, it might be worth just writing the question, when you are disappointed with Jesus, what happens? And four things happen when you're disappointed with Jesus. They're the four things that happened to Cleopas and his partner. And the first thing is, when you're disappointed with Jesus, he draws near and he walks with you. It's amazing. We always think that Jesus comes in the good times. We always think that my Jesus will be there when everything's going wonderfully. But my Jesus comes when everything is not. When the pain is there, you're not alone. When the need is there, that's when he comes, reveals himself and makes himself so obvious. We think he's the God of the good times. Blame that. Blame that on the TV preachers. But when you hear one of us stand up here in this church, you don't hear when it's good, Jesus is there. You hear when you don't know where to turn, Jesus is here and ready for you. When you, draw, when you are disappointed with him, he draws near and walks with you. When I went to theological seminary, it was a long, long time ago. And uh, in my first year, they only, I went to the largest the evangelical theological seminary in Europe, and they only just let me stay for the second year. It wasn't the academics, it was that I'd been converted off the streets of the East End of London, and there was more of the East End of London in me than there was of Jesus. And the president of the seminary had to sign an authority agreeing that you could stay for a second year. And mine, my name was the bottom of the list. I was the one he just signed. But in the second year, a girl arrived in seminary, and she was stunning. And I thought, this was great, and got ready to ask her out. There was only one problem. She had a severe social disadvantage, which tended to disqualify her from being on my hit list. You see, her father was the president of the seminary. <laughs> and I knew this could be deep trouble. And when she and I started going out, uh, the message began to get around and they sent a delegation from the student body and the faculty to the president of the seminary to tell him what a bad witness it was for the seminary that I was going out with his daughter and how he ought to intervene and stop the relationship as soon as possible. And so he looked at this delegation and said, well, you know, she has been teaching in Lebanon, in Beirut. She ought to know what she wants. 
As far as Clive's concerned, I believe in a God who still does miracles today. <laughs> so the relationship continued. And it arrived at a wedding day. But unfortunately, her mother did not share her father's confidence. And her mother was weeping downstairs while she was upstairs getting ready to get married. Meanwhile, the seminary president, Gilbert Kirby, who was kind of Billy Graham's right arm in Europe, is scratching his head. He didn't have any hair to scratch, but he was scratching his head in his study to know what you wrote on a wedding card. He didn't want to betray his wife's doubts, nor did he want to lose his own sense of conviction. So it, he just did what preachers do. He hid behind a verse of scripture. <laughs> he wrote Luke 24, 15. Jesus himself drew near and walked with them because he guessed that if Jesus was to draw near and walk with us, then life would be different. If Jesus was to draw near and walk with us, then despite the lack of likelihood, we would probably make it. If Jesus drew near and walked with us, we'd be all right. It's the wonderful thing. When you're disappointed with Jesus, Jesus himself draws near and walks with you. Ruth and I have been married for 45 years. And... I did take my mother-in-law's funeral, which means she did forgive me in the end, which was nice. But when you are disappointed with Jesus, he'll draw near and walk with you. You just put your hand in his as a church, as an individual, as people. But the second thing is, when you're disappointed with Jesus, he opens your eyes he teaches you from his word. It's incredible that uh, we read that Jesus, very simply, in, in verse 25, says to them, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them the things concerning himself. The incredible thing is when you're disappointed with Jesus, he'll teach you from his word. He'll teach you what the truth really is. You don't have to worry. I was uh, on a plane, one of those little light aircraft that you charter. And I was in a, a place called Lunya Care. Lunya Care is a little village in southern Sudan. Southern Sudan was the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, it's happening again now, but the media doesn't have time to share it with us because of more important things. What was happening in southern Sudan in my day was three million people were starving to death. At the same time, three million people were meeting Jesus. They weren't necessarily the same three million, but that's what was happening. It was the most amazing revival in the middle of the most amazing carnage. And I was in linear care watching people die. One mother, Luella Cott, 
brought her little baby, 18 months old, who she'd walked there to get to me. And it was too late, we couldn't do anything. So together we watched her child die. I have limits of what I can take. And I ended up saying to the pilot, I can't take anymore, get me out of here. And so we lifted off and we went to the next village, which was about 80 miles away, called Lietnam. Didn't know then we were going to be working in Lietnam for years. But when we got to Lietnam, there were no crowds to meet us. Normally they'd have the choirs coming out to sing greetings. Lietnam, they had only ever seen four planes in their lives. But they didn't come to see this plane. There was just no one there. So the pilot put the plane on the deck and I got out to see if I could find people. And you always head for the spreading tree because underneath it will be people and they'll be having a religious meeting. And they were. And so I sat down with these scores of people and said... Uh, what are you doing? They said, we're worshiping Jesus. Have you ever heard of him? I said, yes. They said, he's heard of Jesus. He's heard of Jesus. Yes, I've heard of Jesus. Oh, they said, that is wonderful. We've heard that he's got a book. You haven't ever seen it, have you? Now, of course, the problem was I got about four in the plane. That was a difficult moment. I said, yes, I've seen the book. They said, he's seen the book. <laughs> he has seen the book. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the book. They said, that, that's incredible. I said, I've come from churches in America, people who love Jesus. They wanted me to bring seed so that you wouldn't starve to death next year so that your children would live. They said, but have you got the book? Oh, we sent them the book. Plain loads of the things. And the seed, so that they could eat bread. And so that they could eat the bread of life as well. And people met Jesus in Vietnam over those next few months. It is an amazing thing that this word of God that we take so casually and so for granted, when you are disappointed with Jesus, he's going to draw near and walk with you. He will not leave you alone. When you're disappointed with Jesus, he's going to feed you from his word and give you everything that you need to find courage and to find what you need. But then thirdly, when you're disappointed with Jesus, we read something else. We read that he gets to Cleopas' house and Cleopas and his companions say, come in and eat. Now this is important. You see, they have been walking into the sunset. Perhaps that's why they didn't recognize Jesus. The day is ending. That's why they're so disappointed. He had said, 
three days and he would rise. Now, at what time does our day end today? Midnight, yeah. If you're Jewish, what time does your day end? Six o'clock, sunset. It's about 5.30 when they meet him on the road. Now it's a couple of minutes to six. And they say, come in, the day's over. And so they go into the house. And it's really, really important because they offer him food, as you would. But he's the rabbi who's been teaching them from the word. So they say to him, will you give thanks? Now, live with me. Ask Pastor Steve afterwards and he'll confirm this, that I'm not misleading you. Jesus was never crucified with nails in his hands. It did not happen. There is no way you can crucify someone by putting a nail in the hand. If you put a nail in the palm of the hand and you attach the body to a cross, the idea is that you go from the weight on the legs to the, the hands and then back again. And the hands won't take it. The nail will go straight through the palm of the hand. What they meant by hand, perfectly okay in Greek, is the wrist. And archaeologists have discovered uh, the bodies of people who've been crucified, the nail is there. If they crucified by putting nails in, that's where they put it. And why that's important is that when Jesus stands up to pray and give thanks, he has to raise his hands to pray. And it's not nail prints there. As he raises his hands, the robe comes down. And they see the nail prints. Now, maybe that's why they recognized him. Maybe it's just because his father said, now, do it. We don't know. But one way or the other, their eyes were opened at that moment when he gave thanks. And they knew who he was. When you're disappointed with Jesus, he'll open your eyes. He'll open your eyes so that you know him. Do you know what the fastest growing church in the world is? It's Iran. 19% last year. It's an amazing statistic. And Iran's mission field is Afghanistan. That's the second fastest growing church in the world. And I'll bet you didn't know it because it's a great well-kept secret. Uh, Ruth and I took uh, Abby and Michael with us to uh, some meetings of Iranian Christians so they could hear firsthand the truth of what God is doing in Iran because he's opening the eyes of people to know him and they're seeing him. And so if you go into the mosque, it's pretty darn empty. And the churches have been closed because they just can't allow for what's happened. There are probably a million Christians worshipping in Iran today and probably a million Iranians worshipping in other countries having been in the Evan prison or its alternative and now been exiled. 
It is an incredible story of what God is doing because He's opening people's eyes. Years ago, I was preaching in Tehran, and the bishop told me a lovely story. He said, I, I got a couple of young believers, and we, we need to train them when they meet Jesus. So I sent them on a mission trip. I uh, told them to load up the church bus with Bibles and drive to this particular village, uh, unload the Bibles, sell the Bibles, uh, and come back. They, uh, so he said they left on Monday morning. Uh, they left about five in the morning because that's pretty safe for the secret police. Now, I've met the secret police on the streets of Tehran uh, at 2.30. By five, they're gone. And so these two guys had loaded the bus up, they'd got the Bibles, they drove off into the morning mist, and they got to the outskirts of Tehran and realized that they didn't know which road to take to go to the village that the bishop had instructed them to go to. And so they were panicking because they couldn't find anyone on the street to ask. And that's when the steering wheel jammed. And they were forced into a right turn. Fortunately, there was a road there. So they turned into this road, and there was someone standing on the street corner. So they thought, this is amazing. Glory, hallelujah, praise God. We'll get out, ask him which road to take. And uh, then we will unjam the steering wheel and get on our way. So they went up to this man and said, do you know the road to so-and-so? He said, you've got Bibles. I said, no, 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 no. We want the road to so-and-so. He said, you've got Bibles. I said, no, 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 you could be secret police. He said, yes, and you've got Bibles. <laughs> okay. They said, yeah. He said, good, I got life savings. Pulled out the equivalent of 60 bucks. They've got $100 worth of Bibles, but they gave him the lot. They thought this was too coincidental. So he put the Bibles on his shoulder, walked off into the morning, having told them the way to go to the village they wanted. They got back into the church bus and thought, well, what do we do? We haven't got any Bibles to sell now. We may know where the village is. That doesn't help us. We'll drive back to the bishop. And so they did. You may say, well, how did they do that? Well, the steering wheel wasn't jammed anymore. It's never jammed since. You may say, why do you believe that kind of story? Oh, I believe it. I have seen it so often with those guys. I suspended my powers of disbelief about the Iranian church years ago. Because the incredible thing is, when you're disappointed with Jesus, he opens your eyes. When you're facing the most bitter persecution, arguably on earth, He'll open your eyes. That's the kind of God he is. When you're facing what the Iranians are facing, he'll open your eyes. It's amazing that when you're disappointed with Jesus, he draws near and walks with you. When you're disappointed with Jesus, he teaches you from his word. When you're disappointed with Jesus, he opens your eyes to know him. And then when you're disappointed with Jesus, he gives you heartburn. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us as they make their way desperately back to Jerusalem, seven and a half miles uphill? 
It's amazing. Into the darkness to tell the disciples, he's alive. Before they can get it out, they're being told, he's alive. He's appeared to the women and to Simon. When you are disappointed with Jesus, he'll make your heart burn with love for him. You heard that I was a pastor in Connecticut. Ruth and I had a, a little network of five churches. That's not overflow satellites. It was satellites where there were one or two percent committed Christians in the area. It's a desperately difficult place to work in New England. But working away in the church, it was wonderful to see what God was doing. Until December the 14th, 2012, when I got to the church and one of the 20 pastors I was training was weeping outside the church. And I said, what's the matter? He said, I think Alastair, my son, is dead. His son was eight. I drove him and his wife to the school. We discovered Alastair alive and well. We also discovered 26-year-old children dead and six staff. You see, the school was named Sandy Hook. And the town we lived in was called Newtown, which is the town of Sandy Hook. For the next four years, Ruth spent a, a part of her life with some of the other women in the church ministering to mothers who'd lost their children. One of them was named Sandy. Another was named Jenny. Sandy and Jenny both lost six-year-old daughters and were left with an eight-year-old son each. Today, if you want a speaker to come and speak at a woman's event, let me bring Sandy and Jenny because they've got heartburn. If anyone had a reason to be disappointed with Jesus, it's those two women but their hearts burn with love and, and passion for what Jesus is doing in their hearts and lives and the hearts and lives of people around them. You see, brothers and sisters, it really is so straightforward. You aren't supposed to put on a plastic grin. You aren't supposed to pretend that everything is fine. When you're disappointed with Jesus, you're supposed to let him draw near and walk with you. You're supposed to let him open your eyes to see him. You're supposed to let him teach you from his word and you're supposed to let him make your heart burn so you go out into this locality, so you go out into this community as Michael was praying and you live with passion the life of Jesus and you go out on a limb and you share the love of a living God who will come to people's lives and change their lives because this church is not here in order that we might survive. It is here in order that this community might be transformed with the love of Jesus. And when you are disappointed with Jesus, that's when he comes. You see, the question is not, are you disappointed with Jesus? The question is not, are you going to survive? The question is not, is this church going to continue? 
The question is, is this world going to be different? The question is, what is God going to be allowed to do? The question is not, are you disappointed with Jesus? The question is, will Jesus be disappointed with you and with me? And the thing that I face whenever I look at Luke 24 is, they were disappointed with Jesus at the end of the story. Was he disappointed with them? We have got a world to transform, a life to live, a community to reach, and a church to build to the glory of the King. And he's going to use us. Just one thing as I walk off. Ah, guys who write books sell books. But I do it slightly differently. There's a book outside that fits with what I was saying today. It's called Dying to Live. If you'd like a copy, would you take one? You may say, how much are they? Well, they're normally 15 bucks. But there's a little box there. If you'd like to put whatever you want in that box, I'm not after your money. You can write out a check. If you write it out and you put Elam, E-L-A-M on it, and Ruth will be there and she'll tell you what to write. And it's for a lot of money. They'll send you a tax receipt. You see, we don't take a dime from any of the books I've ever written. I don't do it. I just like to give it to where it's needed. And I'd like to give what we get today to the Iranian church. And we can do that. So if you want a book, please take one. If you want to leave something, you can leave as little or much as you want. But it won't go to us. It'll go to the Iranian churches. In order that they will be able to demonstrate lives that aren't disappointed and that Jesus will not be disappointed with them because we've stood together. So the books are there. It's, it's an interesting book. It's about what it means to give your life to Jesus so he gives his life to you. There's also some little leaflets talking about uh, a baptismal service recently where hundreds of Iranians were baptized. Can you believe that? It's great what God is doing. Never let him be disappointed with us because he is going to use you to change your world. God bless you.